Hello and welcome to our podcast. I am Dr. Qureshi. Today I have an expert in nutrition and health. Uh, I have Courtney Ford here, who is a senior dietitian at Baylor College of Medicine. And she's going to talk to us about healthy diets, weight gain, and the effect of age. And does age really make it harder to lose weight? Uh, welcome for having me. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about how aging really does or does not affect our metabolism. And when I say metabolism, what that means is how does our body work throughout the day and how do we stay alive? Um, at the very basic level, metabolism is what keeps us alive. All of our cells go through metabolic cycles in order to make sure that we're working correctly. And metabolism has historically been suggested that it changes and slows down as we age. And metabolism is affected by many different factors. And today I want to kind of ignore the other ones um, other than age and only talk about and only talk about age today. So influences on metabolism include um, sex, dieting, medications, your genetics, how much you sleep, your environment that you grew up in, um, your baseline fat level, autoimmune diseases, hormones, and how those change as we age, genes, um, how much we exercise, and what our stress levels are. And all these, all these influences on metabolism can either be something that we impose on ourselves or something that we can't control. And age is one of those things that is totally uncontrollable. And so what I'm talking about today is, is as we age, does our metabolism really slow down? Because I feel like whenever we get older and we complain of the inability to lose weight or weight gain, we're always like, oh, it's menopause or, oh, I just hit 40 years old and now I'm, I'm gaining weight because I'm old. And I want to pose this question, does, does your intake what you eat, how much you eat, does it really change when you hit 40? Do you start eating more? Because honestly, weight gain can be from any sort of thing. Um, it can be from lack of exercise. It can be from medications. And that's kind of what I was talking about with influences on metabolism. How does your weight change with that? And the way that we do this to ourselves really is, is dieting. And any form of restriction, whether it's a very low calorie diet, um, intermittent fasting, calorie restriction, cutting out certain food groups like the keto diet, or even very rigorous exercise routines, all influences how our metabolism changes. And so when we chronically undereat and eat less than what our body is burning, we're getting our bodies used to moving slower and not needing as much energy to survive. And that slows down our metabolism. And so a combination of that decreased activity and more influence from society of, and social norms about dieting, the constant pursuit of thinness or not looking like our younger selves is really what's what's changing the narrative here um, as we age. And so I want to kind of collect all of this data and and present it to you guys as how how age really does affect our metabolism and what we can do. Cool. So the thought until before very recently was once you hit a certain age, some people say 30, 40, 50 years old, menopause, your metabolism begins to slow down and you start to gain weight or, or it's harder to lose weight. And 
all these larger studies that have greater than, than 1,000 participants, um, which are considered to be, you know, a high sample size, th those have previously evaluated metabolism, but they've only evalu evaluated what's called basal metabolic rate. And basal metabolic rate is what you burn at rest. So that's like if you were laying in bed doing absolutely nothing, your body is burning calories um, just by being alive. And that only accounts for 50 to 70% of your total expenditure. And so studies that have actually evaluated total expenditure have been limited by sample size, age of the patient, um, geographic diversity or socioeconomic diversity um, until recently in 2021, this massive study came out um, that was very evidence-based. They used doubly labeled water studies, which is a fancy way of saying they calculated total energy expenditure as well as that basal metabolic rate, which is what you burn at rest. Total expenditure accounts for other things like exercise, um, organ metabolism, the thermic effect of food, and all those things. Um, so they, they evaluated total metabolism. They had over 6,000 subjects from 29 countries, and the participants were aged 8 days old to 95 years old. And they controlled for body size in this study. And what they found was that there's actually four unique life stages based on metabolic rate. There's infants, so basically babies to one year old, that's one life stage where they have very fast metabolisms because they're growing quickly, their organs are growing, um, and so essentially their metabolisms are fast. And then from one year old to 20 years old, it's still pretty fast. And as children grow and mature, the total and basal, so rest expenditure, increase. So it's pretty fast until you're about 20 years old. And then when you're 20, um, until you're 60 years old, it's pretty stagnant. Nothing really changes there. So even at even at pregnancy and menopause, they didn't see any changes in metabolism here. So that the the complaint of oh I'm 30 and I'm getting fat because I'm I'm old is not really um, is not really suggested here. It's really only decreasing after we turn 60, and and even after we turn 60, it only decreases by 0.1 percent each year until we reach 95 years old. It's crazy. So this study kind of debunks that whole myth that when you get older, um, you gain weight. And so what actually changes in midlife? You know, what changes when we're 30, 40, 50 years old that we start to gain weight after our, after our metabolisms have, have uh, plateaued? Really what changes is the difference between fat mass and fat-free mass. And so fat mass is very clearly the mass in our bodies that are con that are made up of fat. Fat-free mass includes muscles, organs, skin, water, everything that is not fat, bones, all that stuff. And so what they found was that whenever our whenever we prescribe a diet or whenever we tell somebody or inflict upon ourselves decreasing the amount of calories that we eat, what we're doing is we're making our body break down protein for energy. And there's a bunch of metabolic processes that, that cause this, but essentially we can only use glucose as, as energy. In the setting of low calorie diets, we don't have enough glucose. So we break down protein because it's the only other thing that we can use for energy. And where does protein come from? It comes from muscles, organs, hair, skin, and nails. And that is considered our fat-free mass. And so while all of that stuff weighs a lot and we lose weight, studies do not differentiate between you know, when we when we see weight loss and, and intermittent fasting in the keto diet, they don't differentiate between fat mass and muscle mass. They only say weight. And so when we lose all this muscle mass, we're decreasing our metabolism because muscle 
is has a faster metabolism than fat. And that's pretty established. So how do we fix this? How do we actually increase our metabolism? Well, the first step is to eat enough. Because if you're not eating enough, you're forcing your body to go into a slow metabolism and get used to working working slowly. Um, so it's to eat enough. And, you know, enough to you, <laughs> Q, might be different than enough to me. Um, and it changes depending on who you are, your physical activity and uh, medication, sleep, all that stuff. So eat enough. Okay. What's the second one? The second one is to preserve fat-free mass, to preserve muscle mass. And whenever we age, what they found in this study, what changes as we age is body composition. So like our organs grow, um, we get taller, that sort of thing. We all have different sizes, but physical activity changes when we age. Um, And that is due to a lot of lifestyle factors that not a lot of people can control. But what we can control is how active we are and how much exercise we do. And so the real way to combat this age-related myth on metabolism is to have physical activity daily and physical activity targeted towards preserving lean muscle mass. So how does that look? It looks like lifting stuff. It looks like it looks like doing weight exercises and body weight exercises, but exercises that are realistic to you um, and personalized to you. So, you know, someone might be able to go to the gym and spend 45 minutes lifting weights and doing this all sort of exercises. But another patient who's, you know, 74 years old, who doesn't really lift that much weight might be doing bicep curls with soup cans. But basically what we're doing here is we're, we're preserving fat-free mass and lean tissue in order to extend life and to increase metabolism. And incorporating that consistent physical activity to preserve that fat-free mass is is the way to do it. Okay, so one, one of the tricks here is knowing whether you're losing fat or muscle when you're over the age of 60 and perhaps trying not to lose weight or trying to uh, not gain weight uh, and uh, mistakenly losing more muscle than fat if you're not careful. And how can you make sure that you're not losing protein instead of fat? Sure, so we only break down our sources of protein whenever there's not enough glucose involved. And so this kind of debunks the whole keto diet thing because with the keto diet or any with hypocaloric diets, we're not eating enough carbohydrate. And in the setting of eating too little carbohydrate, our, our body doesn't have blood sugar. So when we don't have blood sugar, we break down protein because it's the only other thing that we can break down into glucose after we use what we've stored. And so the first combatant to making sure that we don't gain weight or that we preserve uh, lean muscle and not lose it is to eat enough calories and to eat enough carbohydrates. And so this might require, you know, some sort of external support, like having a dietitian or someone with you um, to make sure that you're eating enough. But making sure that you're eating enough is the first step to making sure that you do not lose muscle mass. So now this goes against the uh, advice by many that intermittent fasting makes you use ketones uh, uh, for energy Mm -hmm. and for and for central nervous system use and uh, but that it really is in effect uh, 
breaking down protein faster than if you did not use do intermittent fasting. Is that right? So for intermittent fasting, what you're essentially doing is like cutting out a whole meal. Um, and so you're, you're decreasing your calories with intermittent fasting. And with intermittent fasting, there actually is some good literature on decreasing visceral fat. But those intermittent fasting studies don't ever, there is not a single one that evaluates long-term sustainability. So meaning years and years, how long can we keep this visceral fat down? Or how long can we keep this weight down? How sustainable is it for the person? So that's one thing. Um, and as far as the keto diet, it is almost impossible to get into ketosis on purpose without having some sort of endocrine disorder. Um, patients who test their ketones in their urine and all these things, um, you might have like trace ketones in your urine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're using them for energy because the body prefers glucose. So it's always going to pick protein first. Uh, for, well, not protein. It'll pick glucose first, then protein, and then it'll go to ketones if it has to. But where we see those ketones is in patients with uncontrolled diabetes who are constantly producing ketones for energy because they've depleted all other sources. And in the keto diet, it is nearly impossible to get into actual ketosis. Um, does that answer your question? Yes, yes. So what would be your advice to people who are in their late 50s or early 60s who want to make sure that they don't lose muscle and yet not put on weight. Okay, so they want to lose weight or maintain their weight and yeah. also maintain Keep muscle, their muscle, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the same recommendation goes for a patient who's who's 25 and the the recommendation is honestly having personalized nutrition is really helpful. So if you have access to somebody um, like a dietitian that can provide this to you, it's very helpful and Essentially, what I would recommend is eating. Okay, so let me get into it real quick. So eating carbohydrates before you lift a weight or before you perform weight-bearing exercise. What that does is it provides your, your body with a quick source of glucose to burn while you're performing exercise so that you're not breaking down muscle. Um, and exercise, whatever that means to you, whatever is sustainable to you, and whatever feels good whenever you move your body. So exercise... That's another story. We can talk about that in a different podcast, maybe. Um, but as far as fueling for the exercise and maintaining that muscle, having a quick source of carbs like a banana, an apple, a slice of toast with jam on it right before you exercise or within an hour, you're giving your body blood sugar so that you don't break down all that protein while you're working out. And then after your exercise, however long that is, it's important to have a source of protein to replenish whatever you broke down. So fueling properly for exercise and recovering properly after exercise is how we maintain muscle mass. Okay, that's so let me get this right. You're saying that prior to any type of exercise or just uh, heavy exercise that you should have carbohydrate or glucose intake. Honestly, I would say before any type of exercise, like even bef like if you're going to go plant some stuff in the garden, I'd have a banana before so that you have your body has energy. Helps a lot with recovery too and overall energy levels. Okay. And that prevents you from losing muscle. Yes, that's correct. Okay, that's interesting. What advice do you have for people who are convinced that as they get older they're just not able to lose weight like they used to? 
are they just eating different or are they putting on more weight or are mm-hmm. they or is the endocrine system changing in some way that they are just depositing more uh, excess fat sure so when it comes to aging and hormones like ghrelin and leptin, hunger hormones and satiety hormones, you know, there are changes later in life. But as as far as age goes specifically, um, I, w- I invite that person to evaluate if they've ever tried a diet before. And I promise 100% of those people will probably say yes. So let's say they want to lose a little bit of weight. Maybe they download MyFitnessPal and track their calories. Maybe they're trying to eat 1,200 calories a day. Um, and they do that for a while until it gets really hard and, and not doable because it's not sustainable. Um, now their metabolism is really low because they're eating very few calories. Um, and then they go back to eating the way that they were, or maybe they feel starved. So they're overeating and that's exactly how we lose, how we, excuse me, how we gain weight. Because if you're chronically under eating, your body feels starved and they don't, and your cells don't know that you're doing it on purpose. So the second you truly allow yourself to eat, you overeat. Um, and that's exactly mm-hmm. how we gain weight. And typically, you know, the studies show that whenever patients lose a bunch of weight and then go back to their normal eating habits, they gain more than they even lost. And that's really how we get there. So let's let's focus on and eat this, it might even make you gain a little bit of weight. Eating prop eating properly and not meaning enough calories might make you gain a little weight because your metabolism might be slow. That's nothing to be afraid of, but once you get your metabolism a little bit more stable and a little bit higher from eating what you're burning, then it's time to talk about targeting muscle and increasing metabolism and, you know, getting a little little bit more personal with that. Okay. So what I'm hearing is uh, when you exercise, you want to keep your lean muscle mass. And so make sure you have some quick energy source to get you through the exercise so that you don't lose muscle. Right. Right. And are there any key points for our listeners about how they can, when they pick a diet, be able to stick with it and not um, not fall off the wagon, as it were? Right. I think the word diet has become synonymous with restriction. And so I I invite everybody, you know, my goal in life for everybody is to never go on a quote unquote diet ever again and to just eat like it's sustainable. Um, I would say eat when you're hungry. Make it very simple. Eat when you're hungry. Eat foods that make you feel good and stop when you're full. And that is my personal philosophy for and it's so much, it sounds so much easier than it, than it is, but that's my personal philosophy for kind of teaching my personal clients and my patients how to eat, to feel good, um, and to fuel their bodies to be the best that they can be. Um, but the person who is, you know, looking for something, uh, to try a new, maybe eating pattern or a new, they want to kind of reinvent their, their eating. I, I invite you to do something that you can do for the rest of your life. Whereas intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. what happens when it's 6 p.m. and your girlfriends want to go for a happy hour? Or what if it's anniversary date night, but your husband doesn't get off work till 8? Are you just not going to eat? Are you not going to have a glass of wine? So it's more so about about doing something that works for you. Okay. Now, some would argue that if you stick to eating what you like, 
then for me that could be fried chicken followed by cheesecake. <laughs> uh, and I know that's not terribly healthy, but it is what I like. Uh, so there, there have to be some common sense guidelines. Absolutely. And I, I'm really glad you brought that up because what I like is <laughs> fried rice and egg rolls and mm. Chinese food is like my favorite thing ever. Um, but I want to ask you, after you eat fried chicken and cheesecake, let's say for four days, um, how do you feel after you eat that physically, physically? Yeah, probably slow. Yeah. So that's really what I ask people to use as their outcome measures, not the scale and not the weight at all, but how do you feel after you eat certain foods? Because um, I know certainly, you know, if I were to eat Chinese food or, you know, my favorite type, my favorite dishes every single day, um, I would, yeah, I would feel slow. I'd feel swollen. Um, mm -hmm. I would be eating a lot of fat and salt. And so I would want to eat something that makes me physically feel good and physically able to conduct my life. And so um, really that's what I ask people to use as an outcome measure is how you feel rather than the scale. Does that answer that? Uh, yeah. So it would help if I knew what type of common sense food groups I should be uh, concentrating on okay. or wanting. Yeah, that's a great question. So what I always recommend is starting to build your plate, whether it's a snack or a meal with your protein first, because that's the hardest thing to choose. And usually the protein is where all of the saturated fat, the salt, all of those, you know, quote, poor choices come from is typically where the protein is. So pick your protein first. So for me, for dinner tonight, we'll probably be making salmon because it's in the fridge. Um, so around that salmon, mm -hmm. we pick a carb or a starch and we pick some sort of vegetable because that's just how I build a simple, easy go-to meal. So pick your protein first. Um, go for leaner proteins like, um, when I say leaner, I mean either a healthy fat or, or an unsaturated fat or a lean protein. So something like chicken, fish, shrimp, um, eggs, tofu, that sort of thing. So we pick our protein first, then we pick our starch. And we want to pack as much fiber into our starch as we can. So brown rice, beans, lentils, lentil-based pastas, whole wheat bread, potatoes, sweet potatoes. Pick your carb. Then you pick whatever vegetable you like, whatever you have and whatever's in season. Um, you know, the myth about, oh, you have to eat kale, it's so healthy. There's there's nothing that you have to eat to be healthy. If you only like canned green beans and canned peas, then that is all you have to eat. You don't have to eat anything. Um, now, it's great to try new things because you might mm -hmm. discover something that you like. But if canned green beans is your jam, then that is your vegetable for that meal. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes you get into a situation where there are, there's a lot of different variety of foods. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of these restaurants that have eat as much as you like or can. Mm -hmm. um, what is a good guideline of what to concentrate on and what to definitely avoid? Hmm. So I think as far as building your plate, let's take like a Chinese buffet, for example. Um, as far as building your plate, I always say pick your protein first. And 
there's so many yummy foods to like try and that we want to eat during those times. So if you want to try a little bit of everything, then do it, but serve yourself a tiny amount of everything. And then whatever you really like, maybe that's how you build your meal. But I still, I have this, this policy. It's not really a policy, but something that I use where when I'm eating and my meal is so delicious, but I know I'm getting full, I sit back and I evaluate when I'm, when I'm about halfway done with my meal, I say, am I a two or three on the hunger scale? Like still hangry or am I comfortably full at a seven or eight? And if I'm closer to that fullness, then I give myself a couple glory bites and I pick the best things on my plate and I eat those because there's no rules with food. You can pack it up and eat it whenever you want to. Um, you know, I do realize that food is a privilege and it should be treated as such. So it's not the case for everybody, but more often than not, if you're in the situation and you're trying to or eat to serve your hunger and stop when you're full, stop when you're satiated, I say pack up the rest and eat it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do, uh, I, for instance, I weigh myself about twice a week. And if I see a trend of weight starting to go up, um, I... I'm not quite sure what to do. Decrease the size of my meals or avoid less fried fatty stuff and more red meat uh, or just try and eat more uh, roughage so that you feel full without eating too much calorie mm-hmm. calories. Okay. Uh, what is your advice to people who uh, don't seem to be eating more but notice a weight gain? Yeah. So I would say, look at your portion size and see what it looks like. Um, And try to make, I know this sounds elementary and kind of silly, but try to make a quarter of your plate protein and a quarter of it your starch and the rest, you know, vegetable or produce and see how you feel after that meal. Um, And if you're still hungry, go back for vegetables. Um, And kind of, or, you know, if you want more rice then get another scoop Mm -hmm. of rice. But it's, it's more so about making sure that you feel satisfied after a meal. And more often than not, we're ignoring satiety. And we've just kind of been trained to do that over our lifetime is to kind of dampen that, that signal. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you feel yourself gaining weight or if you, you know, look at the scale and it's trending up and you want to lose some weight, the first question I ask is, are you burning the same amount as you were a couple of weeks ago? Um, have you... Has your exercise or has your activity decreased? Um, A lot of times that answer might be yes. And if it's not yes, um, what's changed about your food? Are you serving yourself bigger portions of carbohydrate? Are you cooking with more oil? Are you adding cheese to everything you Mm -hmm. eat? So try to evaluate your personal changes and what you've seen in your own diet over the past, you know, however long and try try to modify based on what you feel. Okay, that's been very enlightening. So, uh, in conclusion, uh, what would you say to us that have easy access to fast foods, drive-throughs? Uh, most of us eat out uh, three or four times a week uh, and have little input into what we are getting in that situation. Uh, what is your advice for a common sense diet for good health? So, I 
the plate blueprint that we kind of discussed is is my it's my blueprint for every meal regardless of where I am if I'm going to Whataburger it is my blueprint is there a protein is there a carb is there vegetables um, or produce rather and 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 don't tell anybody I said this even though I'm speaking to the population here fruits and vegetables are a bonus if you have a carb and a protein, it's considered a balanced meal because that's kind of what our blood sugar requires in order for stability. Um, so if I'm going to Whataburger and I know I want French fries, which French fries are the carb and the, the meat on the burger is the protein, I'm going to get it on a lettuce bun because I choose fries over the bun. Now, if I choose the bun, then I'm not getting a side or I'll get a side salad. Um, so every, every fast food restaurant, we run into this where... Um, it's, it's usually a very carb, very fat-heavy meal, but we have the ability to modify that. Mm-hmm. I say as long as, you know, pick your protein first. Are you getting chicken nuggets? Are you getting a burger? Are you getting, you know, whatever at Subway? Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Um, chicken nuggets, it's a balanced meal already because you have the protein from the chicken and you have the breading from, from the car, or the carb from the breading. So are you going to add more on top of that with fries? Or are you going to get grilled nuggets like from Chick-fil-A and get the fries as your carb? So there's a bunch of different ways to plan this, but it all boils down to how much of what is on your plate and what you put with what. I know that's a lot of words. The dose is the poison here. Mm -hmm. The dose is the poison in any case. It depends on how much you're eating. So portion size then becomes a big issue as well. Right. So like if I... I'm sorry, I can't, I'm giving a lot of examples, but it's, it's relevant. And, you know, I have patients like, what if I get a junior Whataburger and eat the, and eat a small fry? Okay. Well, the, the burger bun is a lot smaller and the fries, the portion's a lot smaller. So I would still consider that a fairly balanced meal for eating at a fast food restaurant. Um, because you're, you're decreasing the quantity and the, the, yeah, the quantity basically of, of carbohydrate that you're eating at that meal. Now, carbs aren't bad, and that's not what I'm saying at all, but it, it's everything belongs in the diet, and it all belongs in a certain portion. Well, that's very helpful. Uh, we've been listening to Courtney Ford, who is our senior dietitian and knows everything about eating and good health. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, and hopefully we will have a part two of this chat sometime in the near future. Thank you very much.